0: Welcome to the Property Renovation Podcast. I'm your host, James Woodham.
1: And I'm your co-host, Juliet.
0: Juliet has a decade of architectural experience in the US.
1: And James has completed over
0: 250
1: home renovations in the UK. Together, James and I have over 35 years experience designing and building homes.
0: This podcast was created to give you, the homeowner, the power and the knowledge to get your project done right, on time, and with quality workmanship.
1: We've been going for just over a year now, and we have over 50 episodes for you to listen and absorb all the information from key experts in the industry.
0: That's right, we've spoken to industry leaders, builders, architects, and the best part of what we do is hear from you, the homeowner, what went right and what went wrong.
1: We really hope you like listening to this podcast, and if you do, please leave us a review. Reviews expose us to more listeners, which in turn means we can help more homeowners save money and avoid the chance of things going wrong.
0: With that said, let's get into today's show.
1: Hey guys, this is Juliette, your co-host for the Property Renovation Podcast. This week's episode is a big one. James and I really drilled down into the details and the nitty-gritty about how to hire the right person for your project. We have some fun stories from our own experiences, and as usual, James has a ton of practical tips on hiring the right person or the right team for your project. So we hope you guys enjoy this episode, and if you do, please visit us on our Facebook group. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the property renovation podcast. With that said, here's today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Property Renovation Podcast. I am here as well as James, and it's in the middle of the summer, it's beautiful out. A lot of um, there's a lot of construction activity both in Europe and here in the US. It's prime time to do your Renovations or start on a new project Um, and yeah, since a lot of you guys are on summer. It's vacation time and holiday time and Some of you are probably thinking about the next project that you're going to do And maybe you've interviewed a couple people you're looking to hire, you know, a general contractor or someone to help you out with some projects around your home And so James and I are here and we really kind of wanted to get into the nitty-gritty today about how to hire the right person for your project. And so we have a bullet point of 10 things and we just sort of really wanna go through them and discuss what makes a person a good fit for your home and how to weed out of everyone who should not be working on your home. All right, so the first thing that James might wanna talk about are qualifications. So James, when you either put a bid in for a job or you're maybe advising a friend who's trying to get someone to help out on their job, What kind of qualifications would you advise people to look for?
0: Uh, First of all, I want to just say, hey, uh, Julia, I hope you've had a good weekend so far. Uh, I
1: know. Thank you. What about you?
0: It's been crazy. I think we've we've got over the World Cup right now and uh, we're focusing back on doing normal things, which is focusing on the house and focusing on our family and you know, just doing normal things so um, but to get back to your question about qualifications i I, I think the free there, there's a few main areas where you need to be thinking about hiring someone for their qualifications um, but not necessarily every skill needs their qualification so definitely a plumber if you 're going to be touching gas, um, I would definitely say that you need to have someone qualified someone that's been. Doing the qualifications is up to standards with the the, the regulations, the changes, the uh, has a certificate of works, that kind of thing, and that can give you a certificate after they've completed the work to ensure that it's been done to standard. Um, And that, that goes with the same thing with electricians as well. But if you look for things like hiring a tiler or someone that can install a floor or someone that's a carpenter. Um, a plasterer, for instance, they're not necessarily, you don't have to look for a qualification. There are qualifications out there. There's in in, uh, in the UK, there's city and guilds. I'm not too sure what it's, what's, what it's in America, but um, it's, it's all about, I, I would be more interested in hiring someone that's got a good background of experience, someone that's been playing about with that material for a good 15, 20, 30 years that knows how to respond to it. They could have just come out of school and started doing that and working with that material. They don't need to have the qualification. So it's, it's uh, when you're hiring a carpenter, when you're hiring someone that can uh, do plastering or something like that, you want to be looking at um, recommendations and uh, maybe going to look at the kind of quality of work that they've completed before. But if it's someone like a plumber or an electrician, then I think uh, because there is already someone there behind them, like a, an authority that regulates them. That's kind of you know they've done the checks already for you, so you're saving yourself time anyway, and you know that this is someone of standard that that needs to keep of standard, and and, and all above board and everything else. So that that that's where I, that's what I can say on that matter.
1: Out of curiosity, in terms of being someone who holds. A license, or you know, as part of one of those standing guilds that you mentioned, what sort of process do you have to go to to actually become a member in one of those guilds or to get that professional license?
0: Um, you need to do a lot of studying. You need to be able to prove, you need to go through a few levels of uh, qualification. So you need to demonstrate that you can do the kind of work um, that you're implementing. And you, it's a course, you have to do a course. And um, that could be something that lasts a week to 12 weeks, 20 weeks sometimes. Um, if it's an electrician, uh, it's a hell of a lot longer. If it's, if it's a gas engineer, um, you're talking months and a lot of money to invest into, uh, getting that qualification. And it's something that doesn't just, as soon as you've got it, that's it. It's something that runs out. And, uh, you know, every year you have to renew this and you have to keep up the standards.
1: What are, how stringent would you say the renewal standards are? Like, say you, I'm not even sure if this happens that often, but what if you meet um, a plumber and he's like, you know, I used to have my qualifications, say I was on holiday or something happened in the family. I just let that one slip by. Not a big deal. Should should we believe that? What <laughs> No,
0: <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. I mean, it, look, it depends on risk. I think you need to like always uh, measure something at risk. If you're, some, if you're getting in an electrician and his qualification, you know, has run out just before the summer and he's gone on holiday or whatever and he hasn't had a chance to renew it, but you're only getting him in to change a light bulb or, you know, do something very minor, you can probably let it pass I would say um, that's not on the books. That's not, you know, I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying that that could, that's a possibility. It's not going to be the end of the world. But um, things like changing your fuse board, um, doing uh, investigative works in your electrics, finding out why something is just blown in your property. um, And then they turn around and say, you know, my qualification, I can't present it right now. It's not really here um i have got it but it's i then i wouldn't really hire them in the first place if they know their registration number for instance that's something that you can check out it's very quick you can go online um uh, i'm sure you'd be able to eventually put some links on a, a blog or something for uh, the american listeners of ours but especially with uh, the uk you've got the nic and the eic uh, which are uh, a federation that monitors uh, electricians and uh, there are a few others out there as well, but I think that's one of the main ones. And you can literally um, take their pass, take the registration and check them out and find out when their qualification runs out or when their membership runs out. This is the thing, it's, it's all about membership. Sometimes it's very easy to become a member of a federation or regular, regularized um, body, uh, but it doesn't mean, it doesn't really mean much. It's just presenting that uh, someone out there is is you, you don't forget, you will also have to pay. You also have to pay f- to be on these regular to um regulation bodies and um I personally don't think there are uh, they're not tough enough. They they don't even meet you. They are literally approving you by you presenting certain information online. That's it which is a bit of a shame. I think it should be a lot stronger than that.
1: Interesting. I think in the U.S., um, I mean, as since I'm not a general contractor or a subcontractor, I, I don't know that world as well, but I do know that we always try. We always, we would never recommend to go with someone who works out of the back of their truck. We at least would want them to have a license, you know, in whatever state and the state from state to state here in the US um it does vary in terms of how difficult it is to get um a license number but at least you know that they've gone through some exams per their trade and i think it's once again different to become a general contractor you know when you can sort of oversee a whole bunch of different trades and coordinate that work and i think at the very minimum it involves like i said an exam you have to present i believe um record of work that you've done and you know it's not you don't want to overlook the potential importance of, you know, they they do do criminal history checks on everyone applying. So those are all good things. So you don't necessarily want, I mean, you want to know that you're working with someone who's reliable and who's going to be trustworthy.
0: I think you've got a good point there because um, that's probably one thing that I don't think any homeowner in in the UK or most homeowners in the UK don't really consider about that. It's that uh, criminal check. Right? Because you're having these people literally come into your home. And when you're not there. When you're not there. Uh you're handing over keys and everything else. Um I don't know. You 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 could it it's it's yeah. I've got kids, I've got a wife, I, I I know exactly how this feels, and I think just imagining that fear of someone coming into your home. Um so I guess we should be saying at the moment now is is always be checking the qualification at the door rather than just allowing them to come in the house. Definitely. And I
1: do think, um, we'll we'll talk about this a little bit more, but I think you mentioned a very important point, which is the fact that qualifications are different in a very important aspect to um, experience. But we we will touch upon that in a separate topic. But I think at least in the US, closely related to your qualifications is insurance and also bonds surety bonds as well. And so again, I think once you're in the U S if you have a general contractor's license, um, they require you to take out a bond as well. I'm not sure. Is there an equivalent of that in the UK?
0: No, um, you can be insured. So there's definitely different levels of insurance, but the, um, and what I've found quite shocking actually, is that a lot of general contractors are insured for, um, public liability up to 2 million, which basically means that um, if they cause injury to anyone other than themselves with, with, whilst doing their work within the property um, and whilst they're doing their work, uh, they, they, they're covered up to 2 million. But if you're um, the, the, the general law really and the general acceptance is 5 million. And not many many people actually realize that, but it changed quite a while ago, and there are some documents and i 'm sure we can put some links online as well but it 's five million so when we come when we talk about insurance we 've got to understand that this is a monthly commitment or a yearly commitment for any contractor to to undertake. Um, it costs uh, a considerable amount, um, and it 's a fixed cost, so you you really have to think about whether um, – well, we, we just have to be a little bit diplomatic to understand are they going to be taking out enough insurance to cover themselves um, even though it costs or are they going to be taking out the minimum amount of insurance to be acceptable? So um, I would probably say that a lot of, a lot of contractors uh, – Limited companies would take out enough to make sure that they are covered beyond all means. But if you're talking about a single contractor that just has themselves to look after, um, it would be within their own interest to to make sure they take the minimum, or you know, because they weigh up against risk and uh, associate with, where, whether who's going to claim on their work anyway, right? um but it's a really big no-no i think if you're doing a full renovation on a property you're not just doing a bathroom you're not doing a kitchen if you're doing a full renovation on anyone's house five million cover public liabilities is enough um anything less than that is not and then you've got to think about if you're a contractor and you're hiring um people to do your work whether they are subcontracted um, most unlikely, they are hiring people that are not fully committed to the job. They, you know, they're finding a plumber, finding a plasterer to work with them to get the job completed. So, uh, and they're not a family member. They're not someone that's a member of the company that has shares or considerations as to whether the job is going to come in on time or anything like that. They're more like, um, yeah, you're hiring me to do this job, and I will do it within the time I can do it, and uh, that's my risk. So, but still. They have to be covered. So that's employer's liability, and that's 10 million is the accepted cover, 10 million cover um, in the UK. If you're talking about designer and stuff like that, it's completely different, but it comes under professional indemnity insurance, as we we both know. But the the, the general acceptance, if you're hiring anyone, a subcontractor with no limited company, just a self-employed guy, uh, or a woman, you need to be thinking about they have to have a $5 million cover for a full renovation in your property.
1: That is more than I would have expected.
0: Yeah, but this is this is the thing. And it's because a lot of claims have happened. Um, I, there is one I wish I really could remember, but it was a, a self-employed guy. He was um, a gas engineer working for a museum in london uh on the roof and everything was supposed to be fine it wasn't fine and it ended up causing a fire and it caused so much damage it was unbelievable and they the insurance company had to pay out and it was millions
1: there was a fire at a museum yeah Oh, good
0: God. Yes. Yeah. This, this was a few years ago. Look, look we're, we're talking about this now, but a few, um, what was it, last month or the month before? I think I was talking to you about the, the museum in Glasgow that, that um, got caught on fire. And this was like the second time around, but this is a large company. They've got, they've got insurance to cover this. Um, but when you're talking about someone coming in your home, if you have paid uh, half a million A million for your home and you've got someone coming in doing gas work um and you, you know this is the most shocking thing if you think about london imagine london and you are working on a third floor of a converted victorian house uh central london the the property is going to be a million above right but if you have a plumber come in and he works on your your um, your boiler, and um, that goes wrong and there 's an explosion. not only does your home blow up, but the one downstairs, the one above so we 're already past five million, and this is why you should have enough insurance because the value of properties are going up so much and so fast. That uh, I, I I don't think contractors realize how much they need to be covered for. I think they 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 uh, they go with what's the 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 general rule and the acceptance. But I would more I would rather be more covered than not.
1: That makes I mean when you paint scenarios like that, that makes complete sense and. Again, I'm an architect and not a contractor, but I did have one very, very brief experience working in commercial construction on the project engineer, project supervisor side. And on that side, uh, we were, you know, a very, very large commercial construction firm. And so I can't tell you how much of my time was spent coordinating all the different subcontractors that we had and getting proof of insurance for everyone. From the subs and the sub subcontractors. It's um, it was probably one of the most important parts. I would say one of the most boring parts of the job, but one of the most important parts of the job. It was such to the point that in the entire um, you know, those flow charts, those Gantt charts of how construction works and the time you need everything, things, entire parts of the project can't start until everyone has submitted their insurance. And only then can they show up on site and begin
0: work it's it's a big deal it's a big deal actually you just mentioned it about the commercial side of things it just brought back a memory to me when i was doing a project for conran and partners uh within my company and this was to build um the bar for uh, the sleep exhibition which was at the design um business, business design center in islington in london and the the risk um assessment that they they had to do was that they had to make sure what i was presenting as in terms of design was going to work be safe enough and i was insured enough should anything happen right so we're talking about the designers wanting this mirrored um floating ceiling uh in an area where we cannot fix anything permanently anyway so um we had to come up with an idea where this would work and the only idea i had at the time within three days uh, notice was to uh, have a local guy around the corner generate some steel bars this would go across um, and hopefully uh, take the weight of all of the mirror that was going to be anchored from this uh the the, but the waiver i had to sign at the time was that there's going to be um all of this all of the public coming being underneath it what could happen if something should happen how severe is it and all of this so you know it's a big deal and you have to have that insurance in place and um again like i know this is commercial but the the minimum i passed because i had five million um, and that was the big deal. It's a big thing. Insurance is one of the most um, most important things you should ever have. Whether you're self-employed, whether you have, where you're a limited company, this is the most important thing you should have. Definitely.
1: Definitely agree. And I, I think it's. I would encourage all of our listeners or anyone embarking on a project in hiring someone. I would encourage you to get proof of insurance.
0: Absolutely. Definitely. There's, there's there's nothing from it. You should have proof. Get a copy. doesn't take much.
1: Exactly. Get a copy, keep it on file. And yeah. then, so we've talked about qualifications, we've talked about insurance. Um, the next thing that I feel like you can run into, and this is a somewhat, it can be hard to talk to clients about this because so often, you know, you're drawn to the low price. And so, But I want to talk about what we call too-good-to-be-true pricing. Mm -hmm. It really is often too-good-to-be-true. Yeah. So as a contractor from your side, what what are your thoughts on that?
0: It's an interesting one because um, as a contractor, we get accepted projects, we get refused projects. And I don't let those refused projects go um, in like a cupboard and forget about them. I'm always interested in... Um, those refused ones as much as I am of the accepted, because mm-hmm. the thing is um, a lot of people a lot of clients refuse purely because of the money, the affordability, and they 've received a quotation that is much uh, less than what we've we 've offered as a, as a as a company or you know and i 'm sure there are building contractors that feel the same that are listening right now. Um, and they 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 hear that the client has received a quotation that's that is literally too good to be true you know uh you 're thinking maybe i 'm just trying to prove an example here, but if we talk about a bathroom installation a standard bathroom installation uh you 're expecting it to be. Uh, as a contractor, you, you're, you're already picturing thousands um, because there's a lot of work, you have to remove everything. It really does depend on whether you're changing the layout and everything else, but still, you're, you're, you're literally starting right again. Um, and this is a 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 pound project all day long, minimum, minimum. Um, and this is without the materials like the tiles, the bath and everything else, and sanitary wear. Um, but I honestly have, I've, um, I've seen quotations or I've heard that people can do it for, um, a thousand, a couple of thousand at the most. And, um, and it's unfortunate, but some clients do just look at the figure and say, yeah, they were pricing too much. I'm going to go with the cheapest person and that's it, and you lose out. And the reason why I go back and my team go back
1: is because
0: I'm interested in how that worked out. I'm interested in, did it work out? Did they achieve it within budget? Um, Was it something that took the same turnaround that we could have achieved? Or is it something that, look, uh, you know, you're still working on it right now, and it's not finished? Is it... um, A contract where four guys, three guys came in, done the project, turned around in 10 days? Or is it a quotation where you received one guy, he's a multi-trader, he's already got other jobs going on anyway, all around the country, Um, and uh, you're talking six months down the line, you still haven't got a bathroom. So it's always interesting, you will be surprised what I hear you know i i've heard i've heard um things have gone wrong uh i've also heard things have gone amazing and yeah fine i'm i'm happy that that worked out fine but i've i have i have heard that things have gone wrong things have taken too long things weren't done right um the contractor didn't listen to um the contractor didn't listen to me he put things in the wrong place or you know it's cost me more money or he broke this he broke that um he didn 't turn up that 's another one he didn 't turn up. Um, he took the deposit it's gone, or it was too much for him. This is another one too much for him. Um, I had all sorts of people in my house, and i didn 't know what I was doing um, and the other one the most the most surprising one is it actually cost me what you quoted
1: oh that's not I feel like that's not surprising. <laughs>
0: It's, that, that's the one. It actually cost me what it cost me double what I thought it would cost, or it cost me three times the amount I thought it would cost. Yeah. So for some
1: reason I feel like for some reason, I, I don't know if it's HGTV and there, I feel okay. like a lot of those shows they go through is like, and it costs this and it costs this. And then you read more into it about, you know, cause it's produced for a TV show and then you'll hear, you know, talk from the producers behind the scenes and be like, so that paint that we paid for, we only painted two sides of the house because that was that one wide angle shot we were gonna get. Yeah. So I think, I do think that one, TV pricing is not necessarily real pricing. I would probably say it's more often not. And then um, I think a lot of, at least on the architect's side, working with homeowners and you know working with homeowners getting pricing back a lot of times it is two or three times more than what they thought like we just had a home come back you know we were aiming to keep the home price at like 14, one four one point six million, 1.6 million and then you know but scope creep it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and then you know more and more becomes this home of their dreams it's their forever home and if they can afford it, that's great. But we got the final quote back and instead of four point six, it was 3.4.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: okay. But you kind of think you're like, but that makes sense because the home's about 40% bigger than it was before.
0: Yeah. I think this is it. It's, um, I think we all forget that doing any project in your home begins with the first page of a story. So you're trying. You, you you have these details, and it starts with a thought in your mind, and you're like, yeah, okay. So I want this done in my house. What what do I need to do? I need to find this person. Then he comes over, she comes over. We we discuss it. I want this. I want that. I want here. You know, I want this there, there there, and I want this product and that product. But that's the minimum conversation. How much would it cost? Okay, well, I can't give you that cost right now, so I'm going to talk about it later. We'll we'll, we'll send you a quotation. You send a quotation all based on that, based on that half an hour conversation. And where does it go from there? That's the thing. It's like you could be talking two weeks later and you've already seen different ideas. You've seen different ways. And it's now the, the actual scope and it's double but have a look back, have a look back at the minimum requirement. What you said, this is it. It's the, it's that bit.
1: Yeah. And just also to refer to some of your other stories of what you've seen happen before. This was long before I was associated anything in the building industry when I was still just a college student, but a friend of mine um, went to help another friend re-roof his house just over the summer. He owned an old Victorian on the New England coast. And then at first he, the homeowner, he hired, he got a quote and he was like, wow, this is, this is awesome. Yeah. Like you guys should come do it. So the roofers basically quoted $2,000 to re-roof the entire, and this is a large Victorian home with a very complex, steeply pitched roof. Okay. So it's like two thousand. That's awesome. Great. The roofers showed up for two days. They worked for two days and then they basically gave up They said, this is too hard. I don't know if it's too hot too complicated it's gonna be too expensive they literally just left like they left materials on site they left tools they just were like just let's just never go back (laughs) and they just never came back and so he um and that's when he called my friend over to say hey i'm i'm gonna finish this up myself do you want to help me
0: wait what um so this is a quotation that he received from a contractor from
1: a roofer yes
0: from a roofer who do you think's at fault there
1: I think, I think, I, I think both are at fault. I think um, a wiser tactic to pursue a project like that as a homer would be to get multiple quotations. I like to always see three yeah. quotes And Then I think that was the first fault. And then I think the second fault is, and I think it lays perhaps a bit more heavily on the roofer's fault, because as a roofer, you think it is his industry. It's his field. You can't, you can't expect an accountant to be able to know how much it costs to re-roof a house. It's not, it's not their job to know how much that costs. I mean, he's not an accountant, but I'm just saying any sort of job completely unrelated. So I do, I do think a little bit more blame does fall towards the roofer and what do you think?
0: Absolutely. No, I do. I think when we go back to this title of too good to be true, I, I think, uh, if you are hearing something and you think, yeah, this, this is, this sounds amazing. Um, I would say to any homeowner now, challenge the person that is telling you that cost. Um, ask them, you know, can you show me something similar you've done for this cost?
1: Oh, that's a great question.
0: Yeah. Can you give me something similar that you've done for the same cost? Because then visually you can see and that's it. That's That's the winner, right? But if you're talking about a roof, I would probably say that the contractor was was uh, at fault here because he should have said to the homeowner look i'm not sure right now it's probably going to come in around this cost but i need to go up i need to work it out i need to do maybe a test run for a couple of hours and then i'll confirm exactly how much this is going to cost but to say just to look at it and say with all my experience this is going to cost this um this is, this is what the homeowner is thinking, you know, it's like, I'm not experienced. I'm, I'm believing in you. You're the professional here.
1: Right. Absolutely. I think, um, but in terms of, obviously if you have a set of, you know, quotes or proposals for a certain job and they're all very similar, of course then it's very reasonable, if not probably just logical to choose the most affordable option, but, I'm actually curious, like, so when you get a number of quotes, three or four, what do you think generally, if they're all solid quotes, the range price differential should be like 10% sort of margin or 15? Like, what do you think?
0: I think you're, you're absolutely right. I think it should be if everyone, if all of those contractors are in the same industry, the, you're working on their profit or or their access to trade discounts and you're, you're not really going far out. It's not as if you're hiring someone. I mean, I'm going to refer to the UK just now but because of the, the, the geographics of things. But I think um, if you're hiring people from London, um, then you're, they're, they're all paying the same rate. They're paying the same distance. They're paying the same amount of petrol or gas to come in to your project. Um, it's all the same. But you're not hiring someone from 150 miles away in Birmingham to come and do your project you know, like there's less living expenses there and stuff like that. Um, If you're hiring someone with free people within the same uh, vicinity of you, um, then you're talking about 10 to 15% difference. Yeah.
1: That's generally what I feel like I've seen in the past too. And usually when it's beyond that and it's a low ball price, I've always cautioned against it. Yeah. It doesn't stop clients a lot of the time, but once we get into construction administration, the reason why it was low becomes clear. Usually, they're inexperienced, inefficient. Um, communication isn't good. The frustration builds, and so I do think, um, even though the money, quote unquote, just the price you may save there, you, you pay elsewhere. Be it emotionally taxing or in time, it's you usually get, usually end up paying in some way, shape, or form.
0: Yeah. It's a difficult one, right? Because if you're receiving a quotation and you've got three on the table and you're looking at them and the cost is, is, is considerably different between them all um, and, and, and they're all doing the same work, you need to be maybe – it's a difficult one because if you're looking down in the fine figures, if you're doing a project, I'll be really honest here, But if you're doing a project that's 20,000, 25,000 in the UK and you turn around to a contractor and say, can you go away and drill down every line item? Can you provide me with a full schedule of works? So I know when you're going to start, when you're going to finish, who's going to be in with where, you know, the things that are going to take you a good six to 10 hours to do, and you haven't even got the project, you're not going to get that kind of detail. Absolutely not. Like... It's just not going to happen. Um, but if you're talking about something that's a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, you know, a big, big, big property where someone has to tender for that value of work, then you should expect it. You know, if someone's doing a like, if there is a over one hundred and fifty thousand pound on the table for a project, then um and it's so much work and over twelve weeks, twenty weeks then you need to see how they're going to do it, how they're going to implement it, how they're going to start, um, when they intend to finish. Because that's, I think, when you, have, when you see the, the level of detail and professionalism within each contractor.
1: Yeah, I would, have to, um, I would have to say that I think, again, for that level of detail that you're getting from the contractor, I think that's just simply a level of service. And I think like any industry, you, you have to pay for a higher level of service. I think that's reasonable to expect.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. I think um, if you're going to hospital and you've got um, surgery, if you go to the dentist and you've got a dentition, um, you know, you you have to pay for that level of service. It's, it's, They've worked hard enough to get those, those qualifications and that experience.
1: There is, um, I think, there is one incident I can think back of, and it was a historic property in Washington, D.C. that I worked on, and we got, it was probably the broadest range of um, quotes uh-huh. that I've gotten for one project, and it was, um, the lowest quote was literally 50% of the highest quote. And this was a, um, it was a co-op, it was a prestigious neighborhood, you know. So I was very surprised that the quotes were that big for a job that size. And I think in the end, after we got into the construction work of it and seeing the level of work performed, because the client did end up going with the cheapest option because it was just, too tempting and while i'm i'm expressing some frustration right now as the architect again it's not it's not my money i can't you can't blame the people for trying to say no i mean i i would be just as tempted like of course i would be but looking back on it now now that i have like you know years and years more experience between that particular job and what i do now i think it's pretty clear that um in hindsight it's clear that they were bidding on the same job, but it, in many ways, it wasn't the same job. I mean, we presented the same drawings to them, but the, it's just kind of like anyone can cook, but, you know, if Mario Batali makes you a pasta, that's not the same as if I made you pasta. Like, they're, too, they're both the same thing, but they are, of course, not the same thing. And so the highest bid was from a very, very reputable contractor who had worked on I mean basically he'd worked on other celebrity homes you know household names and so you know and like all the communication I had with him very professional very put together and then the other guy was just sort of you know new and like really excited and just really wanted the job and I think he you know kind of lowballed it to make sure he got it and like I hope he's doing well it, he, it wasn't out of any malice that he did it but it was the craftsmanship I think that he offered was ultimately not the same but just because it wasn't the same doesn't mean also that it wasn't adequate for the job
0: I, I think that's a very 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 good example I, I do because it just like listening to you brought me back to a few uh, past projects myself you know um I think if you are looking at that that amount of difference in cost um something needs to, something's wrong. Something's not quite right. Um, And they could have miscalculated. It could have been a really minor detail. Something that's not really mentioned, that's another thing, you know, on the quotation, something that's not very, it may be just like a bland uh, one-line item with a figure, but not really gone into too much detail. So there's maybe like hidden costs within that huge figure. That people are not really thinking about, um, but the other side is you just mentioned. You know, he's he's you know this contractor done all of these celebrities' homes, and um, I'm sorry, but if you uh, let, let, let me just come up with an example of uh, going to court, and I'm sorry to be extreme, but it's probably true. <laughs> Let's just let's just go here, right? But if you were up against um, receiving uh, 10 years in prison, uh, you're going to want the best lawyer. You're going to want someone that is well-recognized, someone that's saved so many people, that's very famous for it, and that can get you out of trouble.
1: Absolutely. Or even like your other examples, like if I'm going into surgery, I want the <laughs> doctor that's been like – you yeah. know, he's got, I don't know, like awards from hospitals or, you know, voted best doctor that you just like of something course. absolutely something like that. Like, yes, please save my life. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. You, you, but you also on the other side, you do, you do have these companies that are just starting out or maybe it's a, a really juicy project. Maybe they, they really want, this is like the one that will take them to the next level in what they want to do. And they're just excited. They're passionate and they're willing to take the risk. So they want to undercut everyone. They want to go in at the lowest price. So it's not all about that. You know, have a, have a chat with them. Talk. Yeah,
1: I agree. I mean, even in um, my fledgling business, you know, my partner and I would talk about all the time and we just actually, last week we had this discussion and it basically came down to it. And we were talking about, it, and I said, look, we work for one of three things. It's, you know, we work for, the money, the profit, you know, its is a business. We work or we work for education. We're going to learn something big out of this project that we don't have otherwise. Or three, we work for exposure because it might be that one project with the high visibility that'll get us from point A to point B or from point B to point C. And so maybe the low ball isn't, you know, a low ball for reasons of them trying to cut corners or quality. No. But like you said, just, you know, sit down, have a talk and figure out what's going on and the, the story behind the numbers. Absolutely. And talking about getting the story behind things, um, our next thing that I wanna talk about is referrals, getting referrals from contractors. And so I think a lot of times in my experience, contractors sort of are very willing to give you kind of two or three names of clients they've worked with in the past. Yeah. And so um, is it, uh, I'm just sort of curious because I've always just sort of given clients the referrals and I've never actually been through that process as a client myself. Mm. When you give those referrals, is it generally just a chat with the former client or do you, do they sometimes go over to, you know, homes and projects that they've actually done so they can kind of like see in person the kind of work too, that they could expect.
0: In, in, In the company that I have, I always say to people, go and have a look at the projects, you know, go and physically have a look because, um, You can't really tell from just someone on the phone. They could be anyone. They could be saying what I want them to say. You know, uh, you you really need to go and see the work. It's that that we're doing something physical in your home. It's not like uh, you're passing me for a job that I'm going to get. You, you know, we're going to change your home. We're going to do f- something physical. So you need to see what we can do and uh, what we can demonstrate. Um So I always say, you know, if if anyone is looking to take on someone and they've got referrals, don't just take a phone call qualification. Like, don't just take a phone call to have a chat with someone. Um There's a very, very, very small chance that that could have been already set up. Uh, you know to make you to make that contract sound amazing, uh, but it also could be highly likely that it would be legit and um, it's a great customer they've had they're very proud of it and they, they've given it to you but um, there's there's a you're you're listening to a homeowner tell you how they delivered the project on time. Uh, and it's of quality in their standards and the homeowner with no respect to them it's an inexperienced person that that lives in a home that doesn't do this for a job you know um it might not necessarily be um you might not you might point out things that you're not happy with in that home if you go and see it something you know you're looking for a particular standard maybe it's a uh, the way they finished the coving uh, or the, you know, the in or the arc, you know, the, the, um, uh, the woodwork. Really, really fine details, those things. Um, so l- just having a phone call conversation for, as a review is not good enough. I don't think a written review is worth anything, honestly.
1: Really? Why is that?
0: Because anyone could have written it. Like. Uh- Like a fake review on Amazon or something. No, yeah, I just, I think if you're in this industry, um, I've never, ever given anyone a written review. Or if it's a written review, it's um, connected with a conversation on the phone. Um, Or it's a, a physical site visit where they've gone to see the work that we've done. But I wouldn't be comfortable in hiring someone that just emails me and says, you know, this is my referral, this is the this is the person I worked for, you know, and this is this is what we did and whatever. I I, I think uh, and at the same time, um if you are looking for referrals, what are you looking for? You're looking for um what was the good and what was the bad. Not just the good. I mean if it's something that says this guy was amazing, this this you know this company was amazing, they done everything on time, quality was high. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Come on, I mean, <laughs> no, Again, but it's, but it's yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. It, it's uh, I'm I'm sorry, but yeah, I mean, um, it's either, and it's not the contractor's um, issue here. I think it's the the re- the, the person that's writing the review. But maybe they felt very passionate, you know, like it's it's been done really well, but it would be really nice to see um the challenges that the contractor faced, you know, like mention something um t- you know a contractor if you're listening, you want your your clients to mention the 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 difficulty you had on the project and how you overcame that because Those are the bits that people are looking for. They're not looking for you to be absolutely amazing. Well, they are, but it's it's more about if they they are worried about the challenges you're going to face and how you're going to deal with them. And if you can provide provide an example of that, great. That's the best review you can get or referral, you know. What do you think?
1: I think that sounds one, it sounds like a great idea, but at the same time, just because I've never encountered that particular sort of line of thought in terms of a referral, it's just, it almost sounds like a college entrance exam, like name a challenge and how did you overcome it? Like it just, it would feel weird. I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's just, maybe I shouldn't feel weird about that. Maybe as a homeowner, I shouldn't feel weird about being like, so on this last project, um, it looks great online. So you have Instagram photos of it up. It like looks great, but you know what I'm really interested. Yeah. Maybe that's the way to go. It's like, just say flat out, like what I'm really interested in is your ability to problem solve when something comes up. So like, was there like, can you give me an example? If not on this project, another one, like maybe what went wrong and how did you and your team address it? And maybe do you think having gone through that, would you have done anything differently than, I mean, who knows? Like. But, I mean, yeah, that's a great, I would never have thought to ask that question.
0: Look, education is a powerful thing. And I think if you are a homeowner, you're already spending 10, 15, 20, 30 hours on research for your home, but also research how things are done. we've already spoken this about in another episode as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you do that, you will start to begin to understand the challenges each skill contractor has. So when you do become to go through that review and like, can I have your referrals and stuff like this, you can ask the questions yourself. What would you do if this come up in a situation? What will happen if we take down this wall and it all becomes, uh, something that you didn't expect, how are you going to handle it? This is the thing, put them on, put them on the hot, uh, hot coals, you know, like put them on their feet and give, make them give you answers.
1: I think that makes complete sense because in some ways it's silly to be uncomfortable asking those questions because, you know, like you said, you're literally inviting them into your home to do work. Yeah. Home. Like it's it will be a somewhat intimate situation anyway. So you might as well be comfortable and just speak very bluntly because I mean like wood doesn't talk. It's it's quite it's it goes up and it's either right or it's wrong or you know, if something happens like something bursts. There's no, there's no subtlety, there's no tactics about that. So, if an uncomfortable situation arises, it's, I mean, maybe in one sense too, it's like how well is this contractor going to be able to communicate with you too?
0: Yeah, I think we've got like I, 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 probably I'm probably going to go off a little off, to- off topic here, but I'm just saying it, the best customers I have ever had are the ones that create conversation and ask me those difficult questions, and it's it's so appetizing so so pleasing that they've done their research they know what to expect and i can actually have a conversation about construction with them it's the best thing that you can have if i go in you know and and talk to someone and 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 i'm almost feeling like i'm te- just telling them what the, they're going to have and how it should be and it's just a one one-sided conversation it's not it's not really satisfying as a contractor. I think you need to have both sides. Well, what if we do it this way? What if we do it that way? You know, what will happen if this comes down? You know, how are you going to deal with that? Oh, let's assess the situation. What are the risks? That's a great meeting, you know?
1: I completely agree. I think it helps, you know, everyone build trust, builds communication, like the project can start off right, just with those lines sort of established and a way of communicating. Yeah. I think I never thought about before, but I think when you're doing, looking for referrals and talking to, you know, former clients and the contractor, it's, that's the perfect time to start asking those hard questions.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah.
1: All right. So next is um, contact info. So when we sort of, Get in touch with contractors and we are you know we're kind of vetting their qualifications what insurance they have um should they, should we look kind of closely at their contact info yes what
0: do you think? yes no absolutely um look you need to be looking online you need to be finding that they're registered you need to be finding that the details they'll give you are matching with what's online Um, and this, you know, there's various places to check. In the UK, you've got Companies House. So if they're a limited company, you can go into Companies House with the registration number. Make sure they're a limited company, but really drill down. Go down to finding, looking at their accounts for the past couple of months or the past six months, because you'll find out what their assets are, what their cash is, what their risk is. Um, and whether they've filed for bankruptcy before stuff like this that it's it's uh if you're handing over um you know 50,000 pounds to someone to start a project next week you want to know that <laughs> that money's going to be there and um that they're not going to run away with it right so um yeah company's house can tell you quite a lot about a company um and you should also be checking the fact that don't take anyone that just gives you a mobile number um, because mobile numbers are really easy to change. Uh, you can pick up a SIM card, which is just a pay-as-you-go. Um, you need to be looking for an office number. At the same time, with an office number, you can buy them for like £10 a month, and it can connect to your mobile. I know it's not the ultimate solution, but it's also sometimes reassuring that you've got a another method of contact by phone. So it's not just... This just means that someone's invested in um, paying for a landline and a mobile number. Um, And then an, an email. This is a good sign. So let me just give an example. If you're hiring, I will do your building work limited, right? So that's the company name. I will do your building work limited, and then they give you an email address which says james and dot com no association to the company that 's the one thing you need to be looking at so I think someone that's trustworthy would have "I will do your building work so james i james at I will do your buildingwork dot com Right. Because it's, uh, it's, it's something that's associated to the build, to, to the works. So because Gmail accounts, Hotmail accounts, these are easy things to just pick up. Um, and it would, f- it would really, uh, give alarm bells to me if it doesn't associate to the business at all. So we've got registration number at a company, mobile number, landline, email address. Um, and then other contact info would be the business address itself, but that could be um, not a physical address. It could be just some um, remote address that you pay by the month. So maybe a personal address of the the home, uh, the, the contractor as well would be a good idea. Um, and I'm probably, get, I, I, I mean, this is another thing. This is like, Do you, should we talk about ID here? Like Hmm. you're having people coming in your home. So you've got contact information. Um, Should we suggest ID like passport or um, a a license or uh, a regulate, like um, a regulation license, something like that, where they've got a registration number and a photo, that kind of stuff for contact. Oof.
1: I feel like that gets very political very quickly. Yes, yes,
0: yes, yeah, it does. It does. Okay, so let's just keep it with um, the fact that they they should be providing you with a mobile number, a landline, uh, an email address that relates to the company. Um, if they give you a personal email address, no, that just alarm bells. Um, and, I do have
1: to say about the email addresses, though. I know. I've worked with a lot of professional companies who will have, um, it will be ultimately a Gmail account, but you can, you can see in the first part before the at it's dedicated to work because it has, you know, the company name. Yeah. And so I think, I do think um, I do think even though we are in a physical building industry, the way we work is being rapidly transformed by <clears throat> technology. Yeah. And so I think, I guess I'm not, I used to be really weirded out by that, I guess, until I basically kind of became one of those people, you know, just, you know, trying to run your company very lean and using technology in a lot of ways to sort of um, leverage value when that would otherwise be impossible. So, and it's actually surprising, like having run my small company, it's, the amount that I pay for technology is astronomical.
0: Yeah.
1: So I I can, I can see someone wanting to save, you know, just even if it's 20 bucks a month, I, I guess I understand that logic. so for me, it's not as much of a red flag, but if it is, if it's like, hi, I like kittens at hotmail.com versus, you know, like so-and-so builders at gmail.com or, you know, whatever hotmail.com. It's, I think at least, it should at least resemble the business in some shape or form.
0: I, uh, yeah, I do. I think it should resemble the business. I just think that if it's your personal email address and you've got a company, there's no reason why you haven't got an email address that associates and has the company name in it. I think it's a bit. Just because you're doing construction, this is like you're agreeing to things like deposits, you're agreeing to contracts, and this is all written. This is all by email. Lots of details are going through emails, attachments, plans. You know, there's, there's, there's so much information. So um, I've not yet found any reason why no one can give a company uh, email address rather than their personal. In the construction industry, I think there's no need for it. You know, it, it can you, like you said. Like you said, you can have a Gmail account with the company name on it.
1: And it, re, I mean, it really is. I think it costs $11 to twelve dollars to get to sign up for yeah, an yeah, enterprise yeah. Google account and get your. So yeah. it is a very low investment. But I guess I'm saying I, I have worked with a lot of reliable people in the past who use you know, blank at Gmail. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think I'm more referring to the actual construction industry. So um, as a whole, I, yeah.
1: I think, yeah, I can wholeheartedly agree with you on that. Yeah. Cool. I know. So speaking kind of of all of professionalism and everything, I think that kind of bleeds directly into what I want to talk about next, which is reliability. Hmm. So I think it's easy to agree for us all to agree that whoever we have working on our project, we want them to be, very reliable and so when you present to clients or we know again say you were advising your friend what um what things would you coach your friends to look for in terms of trying to vet out the right contractor and make sure they're going to be really reliable
0: i think one of the biggest things if you call them and they answer the phone great if they if you call them and there's no answer and they call back within half an hour. Great. If they, if you schedule a meeting with them at three o'clock and they turn up at three o'clock, great. If they turn up at five o'clock, not a good idea. Um, and then I think when you're talking about, I think when you have, when you have agreed, when you're just about to agree the project um, and you can give the contractor some kind of security financially you know this is this is i'm going to pay you this amount of money today um pending the fact that you're within seven days going to give me the full schedule of works um and if you don't then i want a refund before we start work great because then that means that you know you are serious about taking on this person then i think the contractor should be giving you um all the proof of reliability the fact that um uh, that they are only going to be focused on your project and no, nothing else but but <laughs> it 's a business and um, uh, most contractors they 're always going to have the other project on or something else to do because they have to safeguard themselves mm-hmm. they it's a it's, it's, it, again it 's a uh, assessment against risk right they have to uh, ascertain that as, as wonderful as it sounds, that this project is going to go, your project is going to go, uh, uh, you know, like a dream over five weeks, no delays. Everything's going to tap on our time. You're going to be there to approve everything. Um, and I'm going to, you know, we're going to tidy around this project in five weeks. You're going to be happy. I'm going to be happy. We can walk away. I'll walk on another project. And that's it. Never happens. Never happens. So we have to. Have something because we 've got to pay staff, so we have to have something that is also happening on the side so it 's not always and this is when this is what happens when you do here I have only met one person in all of my career that I honestly believe has um, always abided by his policy of one project, and that 's it and that 's only because he 's a family run business that focuses on large projects so he just builds a house and that's it so he can forsta- f- sustain that it's just his family and they can handle that but most like most building companies there's no way that they're just going to focus on your project and not work on anyone else's in five weeks no way so um if anyone tells you that then it's probably not true and I'm, you know, I'm probably going to get caned for that, but it's probably not true. So you, you, you just have to think, what is their reliability? Um, what time they're going to turn up? Let's agree a time that you're going to start, um, be clear with them if they can work on weekends. So ask them, you know, are you going to be working on Saturdays? When are not, and just not when they're physically going to be available, but when they are going to be available, like if I come home at seven o'clock at night I have questions can I call you right you know that's a big thing it's a big thing and um, if you're not available um, that's I'm, I'm just gonna tell you a funny story because uh, there was a project that we've recently my team have recently done and um, it, <laughs> it's it's quite funny because it, it turned out amazingly, but the whole stress was over the Shabbat, um, the Jewish
1: yes. Shabbat,
0: right? So, And Shabbat's on a Friday. So it's mostly, if you're really serious about it, it's Friday, Saturday. Um, by Saturday evening, you can communicate again. And in the normal world of construction it's that people come home on a friday after a whole week of work happening in their home they have questions uh before settling in for the weekend and um there was this family that uh wanted to communicate with a project manager that i had and he was uh israelian and uh shut down on friday that's it no communication done that's it how did you think it went (laughs) It wasn't great, it was not oh, tough. Yeah, it's tough because also I had questions and that's the thing, so I think when we go on reliability here, let's talk about people's face, let's talk about people's commitments, let's talk about are, they, are the contractors got plans for holidays? Do they have a family? Are they gonna be working weekends? Can you contact them after the you come home at work? What's the earliest you can contact them in the evening? And are they gonna be working Monday to Friday on your job, and that 's it, probably not, but still, are they going to finish it within you know the the time that they said, and what 's the contingency on that
1: right, absolutely I think um, from my point of view, my experience, I feel like reliability is often. Not proved, but everyone who I had a really good feeling about at the very beginning because they were good at communicating it's ter- the project has generally turned out to be a good one because even with even if something goes wrong, they communicate to you about that. It's like, hey, like we just sent you the drawings. Uh, we really need um, sort of your preliminary bid back by Friday. Great, no problem you know. Thursday rolls around. Hey, we had such and such happen. This is, you know, but we're working on this. We're just waiting on this trade and this trade. I'll have something to you. There was always, even when things didn't come in on time or as expected, they were communicative during that process. So whenever that happens, like it's almost like I want to something a little bit to go wrong in the beginning to see how they handle it. Actually kind of exactly like you were talking about in the referral. And then if you talk to me while things are going wrong, then I really like you if you just suddenly kind of go off the grid and then like, you know, a week and a half later be like, Oh, sorry about that. Here's my quote. It's, you know, it's a little late, but I'm like, no, like the boat sailed. Like I, now I don't know like how to reach you, how to find you. Like if anything happens, I don't know that we can get a hold of you. And it never, never leaves a good impression.
0: I think we need to also be careful. It's a very good point. What you just said, but I think we're in the, um, we're in the era of technology and speed and things happening a lot faster these days. And I think that um, the customer perception would be that if someone texts the contractor, uh, they want an answer then, now, like in an hour, you know?
1: Oh, right. Yeah? Yeah.
0: So, So also at the same side and in defending the reliability of contractors, I also think that, um, if they don't contact you within a few hours, it's not the end of the world. Um, if it's an emergency, absolutely. So I think that's the thing that you should also be asking about reliability is what do I do if I can't, you know, in an emergency, if I can't reach you, who can I reach? Who can deal with this project if you're not around? That's, that's, one right. of, that's a very good question actually, you know, because you can't control, you might say that you're gonna be there every day, But something happens, you're stuck in traffic, you might have an accident, could be in hospital, as a contractor, you know, there's a lot of things that can happen. So what happens if um, I can't contact you, it's my home, there's a big flood, what do I do? That's the reliability questions that you need to be asking as well.
1: Definitely. And I think um, I've actually thought a lot about that. I mean, this is perhaps this is a bit of a tangent, but I thought a lot about, for lack of a better word, I mean, it's just what I used to talk about it. I think a lot about the exposure that we as professionals have to the client, and how digital communication has really shifted all of that, Mm -hmm. especially when you start, you know, working for yourself or you're working in a small company where, you know, everyone working on the project has a very, you know, a big stake in the project. But then there is a sort of, there is, there is, I mean, When you're working with a contractor or an interior designer or, you know, you're you're contracting with any professional to work with on your home. I mean, they also, they're doing it for their job and they they can't be on 24 and 7. And so I actually personally tell all my clients, like, you don't text me because, I mean, it's on your phone. It's it's just as easy to email me as as to text me. But you can't really archive texts and search them in the same way. It's just... In terms, and this is actually, I say, and it really is true. This is for your own good because this project, as much as I mean, for my side, as much as it, it is about me coming up with a good design, this is about project management. And if you are texting me willy-nilly all these different ideas, and there's a million threads, and I can't keep a track, can't keep track of them. This project will only end in tears. Like it, it won't go well. And I do think it's absolutely reasonable. You know, if you text someone, a professional, late at night they might not be available. They know they're with their family or, you know, they're finally able to put their phone down and have a meal. So I would say, of course, don't, I wouldn't measure reliability by that. I think I was just talking about general timelines, people being communicative to you throughout the process and not just after something has happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also think that if you, uh, you, you, you're thinking about people with reliability, um, if you call them and you've got an issue and you talk it out on the phone, um, but you it's a, you know it's a ma- major issue well, don't be dealing with the phone anyway because there's a lot of details, lots of conversation get exchanged through that. I think if it's a major issue you should be subjecting that email and let's discuss let's put it formal because there's I, I'm looking for your response anything that's said on the phone is gone. Like, you know, you can't rely on that.
1: I completely agree. I think, um, I mean, this is a job, you know, you are hiring someone. And so to have something written down in terms of expectations, mm. any grievances, mm. it's always, it's, it's better for all parties involved for it to be written down. Yeah. That way there's a record. Right. So speaking of who will do the work, the next um, yeah, that's basically the next topic is, so when you hire someone to do work on your home, how, it seems like sometimes clients are surprised when you, know, you speak to say a spokesman of the company, but then the actual uh, construction starts and then you, that person that you had all that close contact with when you're negotiating, talking through the prices, suddenly they're not the person you see on site and you see them, you know, maybe touch base with to them like once a week. How common is that?
0: Very common. Very common. Yeah. That's what I
1: would expect. So can you, so someone who's maybe not familiar with why that may be, can you kind of talk us through like logistically what's happening on your side so that even though if you're the one to sort of negotiate and they're kind of high, they think in their minds, I'm going to hire James, but then you're not the one on site every day. What's happening on that project?
0: Okay. It's a question of as a homeowner, how much time do you have? Do you have time to hire a plumber, electrician, plasterer, a florer, a painter, you know, all separately and then deal with all of the communication that needs to happen, deal with the communication between them all, maybe set up WhatsApp groups, stuff like that. You know, whilst you're in work, dealing with your meetings, your work, your priorities, your family, your commitments, all of this. You know, are you going to be dealing with passing the information by? Because I tell you what, this is, this is exactly what's going to happen. The plumber is going to want to know where the dimensions are for the fittings and the plasterer can't plaster until he knows where the dimensions are for the fittings. Electrician cannot come in and fit the fit, the fittings for that until that's done and that's done and that's, and it just goes down and snowballs. And it's a big, big, big problem. All trades rely on each other and they need to communicate they need to be on the same page and if you are doing chinese whispers with all of them um that's one thing and that's that's a big risk that you need to take and this is why um there are companies out there that are um primarily called turnkey companies which have everyone every every skill under one umbrella and there's one owner of that company that has every skill so um and it's that person that comes to your home and says what do you want what do you want to do let me measure everything let me take pictures um and let me understand what you're trying to achieve so that i can then go back to my team and have that meeting and go through with everyone to understand the risks involved with every trade that we've got who should start first, who comes in the middle, who finishes at the end um, to make sure that this project finishes on time and on budget, and that's the whole point. Um, And it's down to that one person, the owner of that company or the, the manager of that company. It's their responsibility, it's your one point of contact. So what's supposed to happen is that you communicate with that person and he relays back the information to each of the team because he's probably got a group on whatsapp if he's more advanced or she's more advanced then something like a a a management system online where they can they can deal with communication and everyone can see everything that's going on on the project they've got things like gantt charts they've got things like schedules and risks and scopes of work and so much information um that it's not just all to do with phone calls and images and WhatsApp messages and texts and stuff like this. So, cause it can all get messed up and even with emails, you know, attachments can get lost and all of this kind of thing. So, um, it's, it's a, it's a real case of, um, who will be doing the work? Probably not the person that you see, but his team will, or her team will. And, um, that's Okay that is okay. You know, it's uh, it's probably, if you are working nine to five and you do not have the time, that's the best you're going to get. And um, you need to be able to um, understand that that's your one person contact. If you start communicating separately with the contractors on site, and not relaying back or updating the person that owns the company, then you could find yourself in a bit of trouble because you've given instruction to his or her contractors. um, And that information might not get back. It's a big, big problem. It, It gets lost in translation. You know?
1: Definitely. It is a big complex 3d puzzle that comes together. (laughs) <laughs> and all these balls are sort of being juggled up in the air. But in terms of sort of, I guess this is kind of going back to our very first point when we talked about qualifications. Yeah. So I guess I was, I mean, personally, I guess I was thinking sort of big picture when you hire, you know, a general contractor and their company, it's their company, you know, here in the US that has, that holds the license, that holds the bond and the surety, all of those things. So what about – would you ever recommend a homeowner to get more specific in terms of asking for the qualifications of the different trades? Or or if, or if we hire sort of just like one of those turnkey companies, just sort of the general company being vetted is enough?
0: No, that's it. Um, if, the, if the company is a turnkey company, they've got everything under one roof, um, and they're offering the full services of uh, renovation, and that includes every um, – skill that's required then you are insured by that company and it's the company's responsibility to make sure that they are um, providing qualified um, engineers um, and licensed people to to be coming on to your project to do the work
1: that does sound convenient and turnkey it's like a very attractive option
0: it is. Um, I mean, obviously, it costs more than just hiring the separate people, but then it goes back to your question about measuring time, and eventually you are going to end up paying for it, either uh, in physical currency or um, in time.
1: Absolutely. All right. So I guess the next thing I want to talk about is a bit more technical, and it's never that fun, but contracts. This is. AR- a big deal.
0: <laughs> this is a fun one. This oh, is it. Uh, all
1: right. So, tell me, Did why why is talking about contracts fun, and why should we have them?
0: I'm I'm looking forward. Well, but the thing is, because I've already spoken to someone. It's a pending episode that's coming on the ep, uh, the podcast, um, all about contracts. So, I had a chat with um, a lawyer, um, a solicitor that that uh, deals with and specialises in um, home renovation contracts. So, listen out for that. Um, that's going to be coming soon. But, um, I think with contracts, it's, um, you know, if you're doing something small in your house, okay, fine. Terms and conditions are fine enough. You don't need a full, fully fledged contract, but if you're doing a, a, a complete renovation, absolutely. A contract, uh, is is exactly what's needed to be in place. Um, and if you're willing to do work in your home with no contract, you run the risk of, um, uh, misinterpretation confusion um being overpriced um not being delivered the work that you're supposed to be and not being able to claim for it and uh, not being able to sue the person that um does the work uh wrongly um there's so many things that you are open to in ri- and, and, and at risk at so i think um you know a contract really just needs to be Three or four pages, um, you know, company details and then terms and conditions, a clear scope of works that needs to be done on site, when it's going to be delivered, the amount that um, that uh, has been agreed. And obviously, uh, when those partial payments are meant to be um, paid. And that's about it, really. It's it's not rocket science, you know, it's... uh, I think it just provides if there's any contractor out there that doesn't want to provide a contract to a client willingly um then why are you in the in the industry i think uh, if you're passionate about this you really want to change people's homes then give them the confidence you know that you are a professional um you know there there are easily uh contract templates on online that you can pick up you don't have to go through and pay someone to do one but i think it's it just provides that sense of security for someone
1: so are there general um boilerplate contracts for contractors that are just pretty very yeah. similar yeah
0: yeah and you just need to um edit it a bit with your company details um look through the terms not necessarily every term will apply to your own company, but um, it's it's a general contract, you know, something that's got like maybe 15 terms in it that, that details everything um, that's going to happen.
1: Have you ever um, come, in contract, come in contact with a contractor who never wanted to use contracts?
0: Yeah, I've never hired them. His
1: preference them. was to not use them.
0: I've never hired them after. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's a shaky one. It's, it's, uh, I think it's down to, I think the thing is there is a lot of fear that's been growing because over, um, I'd say over the past decade, maybe 15 years, it's become ever so much easier to sue someone or sue a small uh, self-employed company um, these days. And uh, at the same time as uh, there are not great contractors and there are cowboys out there, there are also um, really, um, there are clients that hold a grudge um, over something minor that might have went wrong or, you know, and they want to destroy this company, you know. So um, I think... It's about confidence as a contractor. You might be great at your job, but I think when it comes down to uh, opening up yourself and providing the client with a convenient way of being able to take you to court if you don't do a good job, it's quite a scary thing, isn't it? It's uh, it's it's saying that you're willing for that to happen, but at the same time, you need to you need to read it as as that you're providing confidence. You're providing. Uh, a sense of security, if anything it 's going to in- increase the chances that you get the job in the first place by providing the contract, but at the same time um, don 't always see it that it protects the client because i I think it it protects both of you oh definitely you know there is a there is a real clear um, instruction as to what's going to happen on this project the expectations are the same um and everyone is singing from the same hymn sheet and i think when there isn't something written down disappointment happens anger happens emotions get involved and then someone wants to take someone to court i've always heard it I've, i've i've heard it from come like you know building companies plumbers electricians whatever. like i didn't get paid that 2000 i cannot believe it um he you the, they owe me so much money i've done so much work in their house that side and i've also heard the other side where it's um he took two thousand of my money uh said that he would do this job didn't end up doing it the way i wanted to it's the same thing you hear it all the time
1: yeah, I definitely agree that it provides protection for both sides, for both parties who sign on that dotted line. Yeah. I think yeah. Um, I do have an additional question, though, because as you mentioned at the beginning, like maybe some small jobs, a contract isn't necessary. Yeah. you have sort of a general maybe number or project budget where, you know, maybe under X amount you don't need a contract, but at X amount, you really probably should get a contract,
0: I I would just go on the back. There are there are certainly um, figures out there, but I would just go. Look, you put a contract in place to um, protect you from risk. And if you're a millionaire and you're having ten thousand pounds worth of work done or five thousand pounds worth of work done, you can clearly afford the the risk. So, is a contract necessary? You know, do you want to? have that in place it's entirely up to you but i think if you cannot afford it um this is all of your money this is all your savings um you know contradicting to what i said i think no 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 figure is really um uh you know no 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 figure is really worth you know not having a contract but at the same time realistically contracts, you know, sometimes that can cost about a hundred pounds to put in place, you know, um, whether it's a, you know, standard contracts or whatever, maybe, I don't know, maybe if you're having a couple of hundred, generally if you're having a couple of hundred pounds worth of work done, you're not having your complete bathroom renovated. Maybe you're just having it tiled. It's not the end of the world. What can go wrong? Um, the tiles can be done. Wrongly, and they need to be done again, um, but it 's not going to flood your bathroom it 's not going to affect your property in that way, so i 'll just weigh things up like that.
1: that makes sense and from the <clears throat> From the design side, I would say that we never do work without a contract. There were a few occasions when um, it felt very much like the wild wild west of being like no I don't I don't like contracts I like to go off a handshake it was this, it was like this weird I'm sorry to be I hope I don't come across as sexist here but it, it always came across as this weird macho thing of like I like to work off a handshake and I'm like okay it never it never ended well because in the end um the clear expectations for both parties were never set out and then you know you request for payment, and then they fight you on that, and then there's no contract to you know re- get go to to refer back to, or it's just. And now it's almost like in our process of um, introducing new clients, mm. contracts are always like we never get we would never in our process we would never get a retainer without a signed contract, and so it's to me it almost, almost mystifies.
0: Like in, I'm not sure. it, yeah.
1: in my industry at least, like I don't know how we would even get a retainer to start a product without a signed contract.
0: Yeah, it goes hand in hand. I think from the design side of things, definitely, because there are um, you know, you only have to do one line, one measurement wrong, and it's all over. Um, and but at the, same, at the same thing, I think without a contract, at least have the terms and conditions in place. You know, what are the terms and conditions? Are they clear? we've got um in in my company we've got um a client that wanted a design done um and said i wanted it done now that was 12 weeks ago uh, did we know that they were going to go on holiday and not be able to approve anything no we didn't so we're sitting here and we've got you know project complete waiting for approval no one around <laughs> What do, you do? what do you do? You know, it's, it's exactly. as almost as if they've gone AWOL. So I think you need, um, terms and conditions at the very least in place.
1: I think those are, that is great advice for everyone. I think. All right. So again, this is, um, kind of covered in contracts, but in terms of, you know, payment, when payment is made, those, are those different points, but I have also come across this in my career, but there are some contractors that you come across when they request. I've actually had this happen. They've either request payment in cash. Hmm. or They sort of take you aside and they say, all right, this is my price. But if you pay me cash, this is my price. Yeah. I personally never feel good about that, but um, I mean, for some reason I find it more prevalent in the building industry and not so much other industries. And I, I'm not sure why that is. Do you, I mean, what are your opinions on that?
0: I think it's uh, the availability of cash is a very powerful thing in the construction industry because um, it's, you you measure um, money as speed. Yeah. So if you can um, pay, if your plasterer finishes uh, the, the, the property, and then he gets paid because you have cash as as the main contractor and you can pay him at the end of the day, cash, bang, done, done. He's happy. He's going to work for that guy again. He's going to probably give a better price because he got paid very, very quickly. Um, and also it's um, about, in, 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 it's, a, it's a very dark world, but it, <laughs> it, in the construction industry, I would probably say that it's, uh, it's about um, honor, and loyalty, because um, cash has been around so much longer than anything else of course yeah and um in the construction, i don 't think you 're ever going to get rid of it i think it's a, it's a very um, it 's a very, very lovely way of working in in the industry it 's great because you can pay for materials right there and then. No problem. You can measure cash because you know that you've got thousand and you've paid 500. You know, you've got 500 left. It's really easy. You don't have to go back and look at your Excel sheet or, you know, it's, um, it's speed, you know, it's, uh, it's a, it's a very enjoyable thing because you're using cash to buy materials all, all, all the time, all day long. Um, and if you can pay the people that work for you very quickly as well, but that said, um, being paid cash is not the end of the world and I do have to say it's not illegal to be paid cash um, the recording of it is you know or the lack of recording it is, right. Ill- is illegal and that's the thing it's uh, so if someone says I can give you a better deal if you pay cash it doesn't mean that they're avoiding to pay any tax maybe they are but at the same time look uh, you, you, you get it from banks every day, you know, where they, they do um, a 0.5% less uh, if you take out the loan today, 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 you know, because it's speed. It's commitment. It's something that they want you to do right then and there. Um, and a contractor wants you to say yes now. And if you uh, – any contractor is willing to take a 1000 less for cash if you say now that's that's fine i don't i don't think there's anything wrong with that but at the same time if you want to take your time you know and you've got a week or two to take you know to think about uh taking me on as a contractor then um then fine the it's straight through the accounts you have to go and do the the back transfer or whatever it, it takes to do that but cash is not uh a bad thing it can be misconceived sometimes
1: So if cash, that's actually a really interesting perspective I haven't heard and I can definitely appreciate what you've said, but is there, should we, is there a difference? I still feel like, maybe there's my own prejudice coming in, but I still feel like there's a difference between sort of saying, you know, you can pay me this way or, you know, there's cash, maybe there's even two different price points versus Hmm. saying cash only, period.
0: Ah, okay. No, if if you're not given the option... Um, then there's definitely alarm bells there because there should always be an account that you can pay into. Um, and you've got even more services these days like PayPal and um, credit card and all these kind of things. But um, alone, the, you know, the same with the customer, they, they, they do always come with their fees and their levies at the same time. So you could find yourself in a conversation where um, you're dealing with, Uh, £20,000 deposit, and you can say to the client, if you pay me by PayPal, that's going to cost 3.5% fee, which is quite a lot. Yeah. Um, Or you can pay me cash, or you can go through the bank's transfer. There's a a few options these days. Um, If someone says, "Um, I don't accept any bank transfers, no checks, pay me cash for the entire job. That's probably something you shouldn't do, you know. Um, but to secure the project, to pay cash, just to secure the project, whatever percentage that is 10, 20, 30%, um, I don't think that's the end of the world. If you are uh, going to, as a client, save money and um, you can easily demonstrate the people that you're hiring are a limited fully fledged company that has provided you with an invoice or a quotation that's got all the details on it, I don't think there is any problem with it.
1: That's really interesting. I think for some reason, is it the same in the UK where there is the association of asking for cash and avoiding taxes. That's definitely here in the U S
0: of course. Absolutely. It's everywhere in the world. I know (laughs) everywhere in the world. Honestly, it is. Uh, That's
1: why their entire countries are tax havens.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's everywhere in the world. It's in every profession. It's in every profession. Um, And like I said, I I don't think you're going to get rid of this kind of thing. I I just think um, you need to weigh up your own judgment and, if it's again referring back to point number three too good to be true um you know if you're being given a massive discount to pay cash and it's too good to be true then don't do it um but if it's something like look you know i can do this project it's going to cost you five thousand but i can save you two hundred if you pay now cash for the deposit It's not the end of the world. It's it's as long as you've got other things to back up, because you need to. You can even you can hand over cash, but as long as you've got something written where you've paid that nominal nominal amount and you've got it signed for by that person you've given the cash to, that's that's pretty much good enough.
1: That makes sense. I think I think that's actually a really for me personally, it's a very interesting, it's a very good realization to not um, necessarily demonize that sort of payment method because in my circles, it's always been very frowned upon and it's been, we've actually avoided working with those contractors again, because we didn't feel good about what was necessarily happening. I yeah. do you think that sometimes it was, the accounting was a little you know, funny Perhaps because the the discount was just a bit too much.
0: Yeah.
1: But um, in other ways, it's sort of like it's not it's not my business. It's not my worry in that
0: sense. <laughs> no, but at the same time, look, we have listeners here that. Um, are probably paying cash or, you know, been asked to pay cash. We've got contractors that do probably take cash. You know, it's, it's not going to go and we shouldn't shy away from it. But I just think that um, <laughs> stating the clear obvious here um, UK is 20% VAT tax, right? Let's just say that. If someone comes to you and says, uh, project is 10,000, um, but you can save 20% by paying me cash. <laughs> Then, then you should not be doing it. That's the thing. Right. It's, uh, it's a clear thing. But you can. Uh, there are such things where you can be pa- you can be paid cash as long as it's all documented. You store it as a cash sum that you've received as a contractor, and it's all legit. You're not doing anything wrong.
1: I think that's that's absolutely true. That was definitely not the circumstances I've been exposed to before. But like you said, there's still accounting the records. The money's changed hand. It's rendered for this particular service. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's a reason why it's called legal tender. It's Of course, it's legal. It's fine.
0: Yeah. At the same time, I've been stung too. I've paid money to people to do work, and I'm like you. Same thing. It didn't work out too well, and you lose the money. But um, what we're trying to say here is that have additional um, proof that you've paid cash.
1: Wise words. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, the last thing I guess I want to talk about is – A more general, I think, kind of a general way of how you relate to the contractor, Hmm. because what if what if you have a very opinionated contractor who sort of comes in and starts saying like, "Nah, you don't want to do it that way. You should do it this way instead." What should when when a contractor starts to talk to you like that, what should we be thinking about?
0: Um, I I just think that it can be very intimidating to have someone in your home that um tells you what you should have and doesn't listen to you um so a good tra- a good contractor would be like listening to you first um going through your ideas and looking at what you want to show them to demonstrate what you're trying to uh picture and then Saying that you know you res- you respect that you know you, this is how it could turn out, um, but here look, this is how I think it should be, and this is what I th- this is what I've done. Something like that as an example, and I think that could be um, uh, that could present you in much more a better a, a, in a better way. But I I I think that as a contractor, I don't think you should be going. Your idea is no good. My mm-hmm. idea is better. And we should be doing it this way. It's completely the wrong thing to do because you're going to rub up the contractor the wrong way, uh, the con- the client the wrong way. Um, and if you start to feel edgy as a contract, as a client, that you're not getting uh, your point across. Um, I think, let-, let me just back, back step a bit. I think any, any first meeting is always uh dependent on it's like a first date, isn't it? It's like the client is imagining how the contract is gonna be. Is he gonna be tall? Is he gonna be brash? Is he gonna be smooth? Is he gonna be suave? Is it you know all of this kind of stuff? Um is he gonna be talking a lot, not talking at all? Um am I gonna have to explain and repeat myself many times or, you know, is he going really get it first time round? And the same time as with a contractor, they're thinking, you know, is this client going to know what they want or going to be really fussy, uh, be very difficult, be unrealistic with with what they want? So there's so much that, that can happen on that meeting and, it, and nerves can get in the way. So I think um, – about persuasion, I think that sometimes that first meeting, um, there is a chance that persuasion can get in the way. I think that the contractor could be seen as being uh, very strong in, in their opinion. Um, but at the same time, uh, and, and you might not think that you can get all of your uh, opinion across uh, in time. So that persuasion thing can happen. Um, but it's, it it can be measured in both ways. It can be measured on passion. So the contractor could be thinking, I really think I can do an amazing job here. And I know exactly how this should be. And this is how it should be. Bang. That's it. Um, it could also be, okay, so you've got this minimal amount of budget. This is the only way it can be. There is no other way. This is, no, you can't have that best material. This is the only thing that you're going to have. So that kind of persuasion as well. Um, And then I just think, like, the third way where it could be is that the client, uh, the contractor is probably thinking, I can max out on this job. I can probably, I, I I can see where I could save money here. I can see where I can gain maximum profit. Um And I know what you want. And I can give you this, but this is how you should have it. And I'm going to do it for you like this because I can save money myself. So there's three ways how it could work, I think. So based off that first meeting, never, ever, ever, ever agree anything right there and then. I think it's a case of sleeping on it, um, really going over what was said and getting that second and third opinion as well at the same time, but also judge the nerves in the in place as well and the passion that could have happened and um, uh, and and all of the possibilities of um the areas where the contractor might have wanted to just gain maximum profit and give you something that you might not want. So um, just to think about it, that's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, you're going to probably experience that persuasion thing. A contractor is coming in. Their experience is the same as if you're in your industry. You know, if I go to the dentist, um, I'm not an expert. And uh, I might think that I've got a pain in my left tooth. And I want it fixed. So I'm going to go in and say, I want to fill in and done. And the, the, the professional is going to turn around and say, you don't want that. You don't need that. You need a complete, um, you know, redone, redo, redone on your, you know, your, um, root, r- root canal and complete pulled out. And I'm like, no, I don't want that. It's not what I come in here for, but it might be the only thing that can happen. So yeah, that's, that's how I would see it.
1: I think you think there's, I think the medical analogy is pretty perfect. I mean, my brother's a doctor and he did, you know, he did his stint in terms of the rotations, you know, spent a lot of time in the emergency room and so many patients, I think it's um, WebMD, you know, they've, they've completely self-diagnosed. They'll come in and be like, I need an MRI. And he's like, you're not going to get an MRI. Yeah. He's like, no, I, that's what I need because I have this and I need to prove it. Therefore I need an MRI. He's like, you're not going to get an MRI. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah. Yeah. I think there is um it is a little delicate I think because you know the client has their vision in mind and it's their home yeah but the expertise to accomplish that lies in someone else's mind and so it's it really has to be this meeting of minds where you can both see and agree on the vision but then maybe the expert you know, can coach you on the best way to get there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was speaking to a client uh, a couple of weeks back that wanted something particular done in their bathroom. Um, they saw an image online and they were absolutely just looked at the image, looked at their bathroom and said, that can be done. I, I, you know, I want that. And they ordered the, the products and it came to install it and it can't be done and when when we were looking at it um my team was just like we've tried to explain it and they're like no i've seen it online it can be done but we're like no because you have got a different wall there's different ways there's your you know this this that it's there's so many things in in place so um just you know always I would probably say just to close on 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 that persuasion thing and like being convinced in in ways that things should be in your opinion, you're going to see so much online so many <clears throat> so many beautiful things that you like and very be very persuasive in um viewing things and how they should be in your home, but just go with the edge that there's a small possibility you have to rely on your conditions your your individual conditions of your home for that
1: yeah absolutely i would wholeheartedly agree with that one because there's there's so many different ways to construct four walls that make a room
0: yeah yeah so
1: many ways all right well that was an amazing discussion i learned so many new things me too Right, well, As always James, thank you for offering your advice and your expertise and I hope you have a great week.
0: You too. Thanks guys. If you're planning a renovation or you're moving into your first new home, then the Akiva Toolkit could be the solution you need. With its easy to use package of 10 documents, you are able to manage time, budget and the communication between your builders and you to ensure the project is complete to satisfaction first time around. The Akiva Toolkit saves you money and time. It's for the first time renovator, and the renovator that wants to do things better the second time round. It's a fraction of the cost compared to paying for mistakes or repeating work that's already done. Go to akivatoolkit.com and get your project off to a perfect start today.